This podcast is supported by Wesleyan Financial Services, providers of specialist financial advice to members of the legal profession. Wesleyan's team of dedicated experts have been helping law firms and their employees achieve financial well-being over many years, providing personal and commercial financial advice, in-firm seminars and online guidance. Strategic partners with the Law Society, Wesleyan is proud of its partnership with Women in the Law UK. If you are looking to make investments or financial plans, talk to a qualified financial advisor. For more information about Wesleyan, visit wesleyan.co.uk or to arrange a financial education event in your firm or a no-obligation financial health check, connect with Sarah Deacon, Wesleyan Area Manager on LinkedIn. and welcome to a brand new episode of Talking Law from Women in the Law UK. I'm Sally Penny, a barrister based in Manchester at Kenworthy's Chambers and a joint vice chair of the Association of Women Barristers. I'm also the founder of Women in the Law UK, an organisation which is passionate about supporting the next leaders in law. We put on regular events, host masterclasses and also enjoy an annual dinner and conference. Do come and learn more about what we do at womeninthelawuk.com. You could also connect with us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter at Women in the Law UK. On this episode, I'm excited to bring you an interview with The Secret Barrister. A phenomenon on Twitter and the author of a best-selling book, Of Course Nobody Knows the True Identity of the Secret Barrister, no, not even me. They were kind enough to answer a series of questions for Talking Law, here voiced by an actor. I'm the secret barrister. I'm a junior criminal barrister who's been knocking around the courts with a very mediocre practice for the past decade or so. So what do you specialise in? Crime, sex, drugs and violence mostly. The Holy Trinity. <laughs> now, why did you go in the law in the first place? There's no exciting answer, I'm afraid, which is probably why I floundered in so many pupillage interviews. Law just seemed to be a good fit for my limited skill set. Pedantry, arguing and putting stuff on paper in a vaguely coherent form. I didn't go to university expecting to be practising law following my law degree. In fact, after graduating, I took a somewhat roundabout route to the bar as I tried to make up my mind. Eventually, I realised that nothing interested or excited me as much as the criminal bar. And then the decision was made. Did you have any role models or mentors along the way? Plenty, but none I can disclose without dropping fairly major clues to my identity. One of the joys of the bar is that there's a constant source of ongoing mentoring. Whenever you have a question or a problem, there's invariably someone in chambers or in the robing room whose expertise you can draw on. Every day is a learning day, the cliché goes, but I really believe that's true in this job. Every day I go home knowing something I didn't when I woke up that morning, even if it's simple as, well, I won't do that again. And the opportunity to learn from just sitting, watching the people around you is one of the underrated pleasures of the job. Yes, I agree, really. I want to move on and ask you about well-being, burnout is high at the bar. We overwork, we overstretch, we don't see enough of our kids and our family and husbands. And I just wonder for you, between daily practice 
writing and you've still got a blog. Um, what do you do for well-being? I'm probably not too good at this part. My partner would definitely say I struggle to strike the balance between work and home. Between daily practice and writing, blogging, there doesn't tend to be a lot of spare time. I run when I can, which I find to be a good way of blowing off steam and clearing my mind. Now, we love the book, The Secret Barrister book that you wrote. I just wonder, how did the book actually come about? It's quite unusual, isn't it, to have a barrister start writing a book that becomes a number one seller in The Times? Thank you, that's very kind. The idea for the book was actually my agent's. A few months after I started the blog, complaining about the sorry state of criminal justice, he got in touch having read some of my posts and asked if I was interested in writing a book. At first, I assumed it was some sort of hoax or scam. I had visions of Mark in the peep show being persuaded to spend his savings on publishing business secrets of the pharaohs. (laughs) But once it became clear it was legit, I was intrigued. Together we put together a proposal... He sent it out to publishers and we got a surprising level of interest. There were months of agonising before I committed to it, weighing up the enormous professional risks, but my brilliant other half pushed me to do it. They said it was a message that needed communicating to the public and though it's not good for them to hear it too often, they were right. Now I want to ask you about diversity in the law, race, gender, social mobility. I wonder, how do you think we can improve this? I think the law is better than it was, but given how low the baseline was, that's not saying a great deal. For me, while there's plainly a long way still to go, the fact these issues are firmly on the radar of our representative bodies is a massive breakthrough. I appreciate that there's a lot of distinction between actions and words, but convincing a profession as traditional as the bar that diversity and social mobility matter is a breakthrough. Do you think there's a noticeable divide in the profession? For my part, I think there is a noticeable divide in the profession between the self-professed traditionalists stuck in the 1917 montage of Oxbridge old boys and white faces and the modern bar, and that second group now has more members than the first. As a result, a broader appreciation and awareness of the importance of outreach work in schools and universities to attract people who may wrongly assume the bar isn't for people like them. Whilst I'm not complacent enough to assume there are no problems with attitudes in the profession, there are, and we encounter them every day, I do think we've improved, and I think the key to ongoing improvement lies in ensuring that the pool of young people aspiring to come to the bar is as wide as possible, and that chambers cast their nets as wide as possible. Here, here, I agree with that. Now, I'm interested, I always ask this, but I wonder, what's your favourite book? Wuthering Heights. I know it's not law-related, but I'm not backing down. It is a great book, no denying that. And do you have a favourite um, quote? The classic from A Man for All Seasons, between William Roper and Sir Thomas More. Well, I think it goes something like this, doesn't it? William Roper says, So now you'd give the devil benefit of law? As Sir Thomas More says, yes, what would you do? Cut a great road through the law to get after the devil? William Roper answers, I'd cut down every law in England to do that. As Sir Thomas More then replied, oh, and when the last law was down and the devil turned round on you, where would you hide? 
Roper. The law's all been flat, that is. This country's planted thick with the laws from coast to coast. Man's laws, not God's. And if you cut them down, and you're just the man to do it, do you really think you could stand upright in the winds that would blow then? Yes, I'd give the devil benefit of law, for my own safety's sake. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I want to move on to ask you about uh, memorable cases and memorable days in court. You've been at the bar now for about 10 years or so. Can you share with us perhaps uh, a case that stuck with you? My first day on my feet. A prosecution list in the magistrate's court, picking up a stack of giant disordered files at 7.30am and having to be ready to run three consecutive trials at 9.30. Every conceivable legal and ethical problem reared its head that day It was like an exam problem question, as if somebody was trying to test everything I'd ever learned at bar school. I've never had a day quite like it. But eventually, getting through it in one piece, leaving court at 7pm, I realised I could probably get through anything. Fantastic, we all feel like that. Um, Can I ask you sort of, what's next? The Difficult Second Book is out in April 2020. It's called Fake Law. And like the first book, it's aimed at trying to shine a light on the justice system for the general reader. It takes a look at the way in which our understanding of the law is distorted by stories we are told, by the media, politicians and other special interest groups, and how, as a result, our rights and our founding principles are under threat. Mm, I'm really looking forward to it. I've just got it, actually. And uh, you very kindly have signed it for me. Um, I want to ask you about your favourite fictional lawyer. I know lots of us at the bar and the solicitors don't like legal dramas, but we have been influenced by some of them. You know, I often say Rumpole, or sometimes I say Atticus Finch for my very early ones, and then in my later years, you know, people like um, Abby McBeal, because it was just hilarious, uh, and of course Martha Costello, who's one of my favourites. Well, who is yours? As a teenager, it was Jake Brigance from John Grisham's A Time to Kill. Why? The notion of a defence lawyer as the ultimate fearless conqueror in a case where they know that right is on their side was irresistible. My love for Jake has been tempered slightly with age, experience, which teaches rarely that if ever, as a lawyer, you know that right is on your side, and the realisation that a lot of the stunts Jake pulled in court would result in, at best, a discharged jury and at worst, a hefty sanction from the BSB. <laughs> yeah, no one wants that. Now, I want to ask you about access to justice. I'm passionate about it, but I interviewed Gina Miller, the businesswoman who brought the Brexit case, or rather the famous prorogation case. And I wonder, how important is the rule of law, especially in the context of access to justice, that you write about? It's everything. It's the foundation on which our democracy is built. Without it, civilization collapses. And a central pillar of the rule of law is access to justice, which, as Lord Reed puts it so beautifully in the Unison case, which I'll clumsily paraphrase, is meaningless if barriers are erected to prevent people from accessing the courts. There is, as exposed in the Unison case, through the Ministry of Justice's astonishing submissions, a view among many in government 
that access to the courts is only of importance to individual parties involved rather than a common social good. It is this ignorant view that has led to the problems in legal aid with which we are so grimly familiar. Is it hard being a regular person, not the secret barrister all the time, or is that the true joy of anonymity? It's a blessed relief to be able to practice without the attention that the secret barrister brings. Being able to do my day job as me is one of the few things that keeps me sane. Yeah, that's fantastic. Can I ask you three pieces of advice and tips would you give for longevity and retention at the bar? We know the retention, there is a retention crisis. But what advice, three tips could you give? Firstly, keep a sense of perspective. Our work is important, critically so, to the people directly affected. But there's only so much we can do. We work in a broken system and there's too much for one person to fix. Accept your limitations and there will always be problems you can't solve, people you can't fix, and cases you won't win. Secondly, keep a sense of humour. You will crumble if you don't find a way to see the light amidst all the darkness of what we have to deal with. Thirdly, surround yourself with a network of great people. Friends or family, it doesn't matter. You can't do this job as an island. You need people you can ask for help, people you can lean on, and people who will pick you up when you fall. Thank you, I agree with that. That's great advice. Now, I want to ask you, please, if I may, um, what role do you think our male colleagues could play in the gender arguments or the gender issues? I have some brilliant male colleagues in all different specialisms at the bar and as solicitors, uh, and they often wonder you know, what real role they can play, and there's so much they could do. What do you think? I think that in order to win any argument, you want the broadest possible constituency behind you. Diversity of experience is key to persuading any audience. Different people are persuaded by different approaches, different tone, different arguments, born of different experiences and perspectives. A huge thank you to the Secret Barrister for taking part in Talking Law. And do get a copy of their new book, Fake Law. Thank you again for listening to Talking Law with me, Sally Penny. Do connect with me on Twitter at SallyPenny1. We'd love it if more people heard our podcast. So if you could spare just a couple of minutes to leave us a review, that will help people find us. Until the next episode, do check out the latest Women in the Law UK book. It's a look at how far the profession has come in the last hundred years, featuring career and well-being advice from women and men. It's available now on Amazon. Just search for Talking Law by Sally Penny. And don't forget to visit us at womeninthelawuk.com for all the latest news about our organisation. We look forward to connecting with you. Talking Law was produced by Sam Walker and is a What Goes On Media production. Bye for now.